0: All right, so we continue today in our series on um, our core value. So the big five is is a core value series. We're dealing with core value number two throughout this series. And in case you forgot, core value number two is simply this: we will pursue Jesus with ridiculous joy. Now, I know that saying that we are going to pursue Jesus with ridiculous joy does not necessarily mean that we are going to be able just to wake up one day, look in the mirror, and decide that we have ridiculous joy. It doesn't necessarily work that way, and we know it, right? But the idea is that what we want to grow in as a body and as individuals are people that have decided that we have joy in our lives, And that that joy moves us forward in pursuing Jesus. Here's the problem, though. And Pastor David shared this in week one of the series. Just because I know I'm supposed to have joy does not mean I have joy. Knowing that it exists, knowing that it's supposed to be there, knowing that I'm supposed to feel it doesn't make me feel it. In fact, more often than not, what we understand is that the joy that we desire is elusive. It just... It it evades us. And then last week, we talked about why that is. We talked about the fact that that the reason that joy can be so elusive is because what we're doing is we're trying to rely on our own inner strength and our own power and our own circumstances and our own accomplishments. And we try to rely on all of that to look in the mirror and will ourselves to be joyful. And we can. We can. For like a minute. We can will ourselves to find joy. And then we walk away and life happens and circumstances happen and things aren't good. And everything it took me to convince myself to have joy, it just falls out. And it's gone. But we decided that, you know what, joy is possible when we understand that the source of our joy isn't us. But the source of our joy is our victory in Jesus. He has conquered sin and death. We saw in 1 Corinthians 15 um, that that Jesus, through the grave and the resurrection, has conquered death. The the words that the Apostle Paul wrote, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Because it's gone. And when we focus on his victory, we can have more joy than we do when we focus on our own circumstances. And we continue in that vein this morning talking about how do we have joy? How do we pursue Jesus with ridiculous joy? Because we know that it's difficult. Listen, we know it's difficult because everybody tries to sell it to you. You ever notice that, right? People don't try to sell you what you have. People don't try to give you what you already have. They, they try to sell you something that you're missing in your life, and everything promises joy. Parents, you know this because you took your kids back to school shopping. And everything they wanted was supposed to produce in them a joy. New shoes, first day outfits, new shirts, new clothes, school supplies. If your kids are, are dorky, like my daughter Riley, she's 27 years old. She still gets excited about school supplies. New clothes for school? Yeah, okay, that's fine. But what I really want is an 87 pack of highlighters and different colored paper clips and all of these little post it notes. I mean, that, that's how she got excited. I, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we do these things because everything produces joy, right? You turn on the TV, you watch a commercial. Everything that they try to sell you is supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to give you some kind of joy in your life. New outfits, new cars, vacations, right? You watch movies and TV, and you might start to think, if that's right, that what it is is that a different kind of relationship, will bring you joy that being with that person is what it takes to be joyful even if i'm with this person that one will make me feel better it'll give me what i'm missing or this career or this climbing the ladder or whatever it is we're we're all searching for joy and people are more than willing to sell it to us the problem is this it never lasts when i look for my joy somewhere else it just doesn't last but here's the deal We have a father in heaven Who wants us to have joy Not joy as the world gives But joy as he gives He wants us Just like we as parents Want our kids David was talking about this To run and, and, and to, to, to throw their arms out And want us to scoop them up and they, and they giggle with glee and excitement We have a father in heaven Who wants that for us And he is not interested in putting a smile on your face that's temporary. That will melt away when the worries of life come. Some of us, we sit around and we wonder, if God loves me so much, if God cares about me so much, then why isn't my life easier? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know some of you have had that thought. I've had that thought. If God loves me so much and God wants me to have so much joy, then why in the world isn't my life simpler? Listen, God is not interested in something temporary and superficial. What he wants to deposit in you is a resilient hope in your heart. Something that will not melt away in the face of circumstances that go against you. But a deep-seated, heartfelt honest to goodness, stand the test of time, weather any storm, joy. It doesn't matter about the circumstances. What God wants to give you will transcend all of it. Will it make your circumstances disappear? It absolutely will not. But you know what it will do? It will make your circumstances pale in comparison. That's the promise. That's where joy comes from. Your life is falling apart. I get it. Your life is falling apart. But you know what? If you focus on the fact that your life is falling apart, what you're focusing on is contingent joy. It's contingent on everything working the way that you want it to work. That's contingent joy, right? I have joy when work is going smoothly. I have joy when my family works the way it's supposed to. I have joy when at the end of the month, there's extra money left in my bank account. I have joy when the weather is nice. I have joy in all of these other circumstances. My joy is contingent on them, contingent joy. But what God wants to do, what God wants to do in your heart is give you a joy that is not contingent on anything other than him. And if our joy is contingent on him, then guess what? Our joy is sure, because he is always true. We're going to see this in scripture as we unpack this a little bit, but we're going to jump in We're going to be in john 16 So if you've got your bible or your phone or whatever you can open up to to john 16 We'll have some of the text on the screen there, too We're going to hop around a little bit, but we see here in john 16 what's happening Is that jesus has been talking to his disciples And he's been telling them hard things Okay, and as he that's the one as he's telling them hard things They're getting confused and, and the final thing that he tells them, and, and you've got just a little bit on the screen there, but I'm going I'm to give it all to you here. What he, what he tells them, this final hard thing, is just too much for them to even understand. Okay, here's what he says in 16 through 18. In a little while, you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that, you'll see me again. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Matt, that's not confusing. I know, but for them, it freaked them out. Okay? And it was in um, conjunction with some other things that he'd said. He, he'd said things like this. You're going to have joy, and then it's going to be sorrow, and then it's going to be joy again. He said, it's going to be okay. And he said, I'm going to go away, but then I'm going to come back. And, and the disciples are really confused about this. So, so here's what happens in 17. Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you'll see me? And I'm going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. And so this is where they're at, and they're kind of in this mode where they just don't understand what's happening. Jesus has been teaching them a lot. They've been stretched, and they don't get it. They don't understand what he's trying to tell them. And and I hope that you get that. I hope that you can see it from their perspective, because all the time, I don't understand what God's telling me in his word. You ever read this, and you just, you just, I I don't know what that was. And so what you do is you go back, and you read it again. Maybe if you're really super spiritual, you'll go back and read it a third time. But if you still don't know what it is after that, you probably just move on. Some of you, you might ask me, you might ask Pastor David, ask somebody else, you might check on the internet, you might look for a YouTube sermon, I don't know. Some of you go way above and beyond. But most of you at that point, you just move on. But all the time, we read things in Scripture that don't make a lot of sense. And this is where the disciples are. They're saying, Jesus, what you're saying to us doesn't make any sense. Because he said things like, hey, I'm going to go away, and, and, and then I'm going to come back. But when he says, I'm going away, he says, I'm going away to the Father. The Father is God in heaven. They know this well. They understand this. And so he says, I'm going away to heaven, but then I'm going to be back again. And they don't have a clue what he's talking about. They don't understand what he's talking about. And so they ask, they're like... You know what he's talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. You know, it's like in class. Um, Travis um, was was sharing um, about his first day at school, and uh, he went to Spanish, and because it was the first day, and Spanish teachers are flexing their Spanish muscles, um, his teacher just spoke in Spanish the whole time, and he's like, "I don't know what they're saying." Looking around, you know what they're saying. I don't know what she's saying. You know what she's saying. Um, and, and nobody knows what she's saying because she's saying everything in Spanish. And they're in Spanish, too. So they know, like, window and garbage can. And I am going. That's what they know. And she's just talking in Spanish. And so there's confusion. And this is what it's like. The disciples are looking at each other. I owe five bucks. Don't let me forget. Um, they're looking at each other, and they're saying, what, what does this mean? Because here's the things that he said. Look at this. Romans 8.18. Here, here's, here's what the Holy Spirit has said to their hearts. Here's what Jesus has said. This is Paul repeating it. I consider, this is Paul, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will re- be revealed in us. I mean, think about what that's saying. That's what's saying. It's like, but you look at your circumstances and you see your circumstances. You're like, my circumstances are terrible, so I have no joy. And God says, no, 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 no. I consider that your present suffering, what you're going through while it stinks, That's not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed later on. So basically what he's saying is stop focusing on the tragic thing that you're in and look ahead to this. And you're like, okay, well, that might mean like I stubbed my toe. Don't worry about stubbing your toe because later you're going to get a massage. And the stubbing of your toe doesn't compare to the the wonderful that is the massage that you're going to get. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about something that light and airy. These are people that have lost their homes. I mean, Paul's writing to to a community of believers that are in persecution. Because they are Christians, they are actively being persecuted. And he said, you've lost your home. You had to flee your home, your city. You had to leave your possessions. Many of you had to leave your families. You've given up everything for the sake of Christ. But hey... Don't worry about it, because I consider, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that your suffering yeah, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I mean it's a good song. it fits. right? But he says, "I consider that, you, that our present suffering, and it was real suffering, it was deep suffering. Your present suffering is really meaningless compared to the glory that's coming. And the disciples, they don't get it. How can that possibly be true? We don't get it either sometimes. You know why we don't get it? Because we haven't experienced it. We don't get it because we don't live there yet. And we are finite people. What that means is we know what we experience in this reality. Raise your hand if you've ever had Lou Malnati's pizza. You know what I'm talking about, right? Lou Malnati's pizza is the most delicious, deep dish Chicago pizza that you are ever going to have. It is well worth a three-hour trip to Chicago. Well, it's not even three hours from here. It's from the Quad Cities. It's well worth a five-hour trip to Chicago to get some pizza and then drive five hours home. It's that good. But you haven't had it. And I tell you, Hey, 10-hour road trip for a slice of deep-dish pizza. And I'm going to have a hard time convincing you to get in the car and go with me. Some of you, because you don't want to spend 10 hours in the car with me. I get that. Some of you, though, it's because you can't picture what that tastes like, right? It's not in the reality that you know. This is what happens here, is, is we know, right, We know... I'm turning this off. I'm just going to point at you from now on. Okay. We know that we consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know this. This is what we get. We start to understand it, right? But we don't understand it. It's We know it, but we don't know. This is why it's so hard. By the way, when I ask you to do hard, and you don't want to do hard, I ask you to do hard for the cause of Christ, I ask you to be sacrificially generous for the cause of Christ. I ask you to be uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. I ask you to step outside of your box in your comfort zone. Why? For the cause of Christ. I ask you to risk for the cause of Christ. Uh, not just me, but, but the elders and the leadership and the church compels us to do this. And it's hard. You know why it's hard? I ask you to ruthlessly cut sin out of your life. Like ruthlessly cut sin out of your life. You know why that's hard? It's hard because we don't know what we haven't experienced. And it gets more. Go on to the next one. There you go. Um, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So not only, right, are we told, listen, when you've got trouble, stop focusing on the trouble because the trouble is nothing compared to what's coming in the future. What's coming in the future is so good that the trouble shouldn't really matter to you in the now. That's hard hard for us to figure out. But then God takes it a step further and he says, oh, and by the way... This light and momentary trouble, and it's not light and momentary for us. We're in it, and it hurts, and it sucks, and it stings, and it's terrible, and it's what we're in, right? But from an outside perspective, Paul says, look, 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 it's light and momentary. It won't last forever, and it pales in comparison to what's coming. But even more than that, it's actually doing something for you. I mean, this should blow your mind. You would look around and say, what does that even mean? How is that possible? These are the disciples looking to them. What does it mean? I don't know, except I know it works. I know that your trouble now, for the sake of the gospel, your trouble, the things that you're doing in your life, the things that hurt, that cause hardship because you're following Jesus, they're not just going to pale in comparison to the glory that you're going to receive, but they're actually going to cause some of the glory that you will receive. Our light and momentary troubles are actually achieving something for us. They're doing something for us. They're earning something for us. What are they earning? Eternal glory that eventually you will put them on the scales and the light and momentary troubles will be like a feather. To the eternal glory of the thousands of pounds of weight, far outweighing them all. This is the promise, okay? And so this is what Jesus is going to get into here. They're, they're confused, and they don't understand, and they're saying, what, what do you mean, what do you mean, what do you mean? And he's, he says, look, it's going to be okay. I'm going, but I'm coming back. And you're going to have sorrow, but it's going to turn to joy. And everything's going to be okay. And it's working for you. It's doing something for you. He keeps going in John and Jesus, uh, because, you know, he's Jesus and he knows stuff. He says, Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about what he said. So he says, are you asking yourselves what I meant when I said in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you'll see me again? And then here's what he says. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So, so this, is, this is what Jesus is saying here. You know, first of all, he, he starts with saying, I tell you the truth, you're going to weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me but then he says oh by the way while you're weeping and mourning over what's going to happen to me you know who's going to be celebrating everybody else you're going to weep and mourn but the world is going to cheer you ever felt like that you ever felt like you're on an island right like when you're when you're when you're trying to walk With God, when you're trying to pursue holiness, when you're trying to cut sin out of your life, when you're trying to understand things, when you're trying to move forward in the midst of struggle, you're trying to go. Does it ever feel to you like everybody else is against you? Like at best they just don't understand, and at worst they're actively trying to persuade you to go differently? That's what's going to happen to the disciples. He says, You're going to weep, everybody else is going to celebrate. Can I just put in one more final for the day, final plug for small groups? Because the world sometimes out here is not where we are here, right? When we are walking in faith and we are trying to follow Christ and we are trying to live a life that honors God, we are trying to be holy, and the world is not And the world is at best telling us that we're wrong. At worst, it's actively trying to pull us away. We need something. We need committed people to come around us, like-minded people to do life with, that will share in our frustrations and our hurts, that will hold us accountable, that will teach us true things, that we can support and they can support us. The disciples needed each other. We do too. We do too We keep going though Tell you the truth No, no, we don't keep going that far There you go Um, I tell you the truth We will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me You'll grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy It'll be like a woman suffering the pains of labor Raise your hand if you've ever had a baby Raise your hand if it caused you to suffer I get that Raise your hand if you're currently pregnant And wish we'd stop talking about it (laughs) I get it You are not Embry's like me. (laughs) She's not, I promise. Here's the deal, though, right? We understand this. This is an analogy we can wrap our heads around. That's why Jesus gives it to us. He says, okay, so you don't understand what I mean when I say light momentary trouble. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it doesn't sting. But I'm saying it's light and momentary compared to what's going to happen next. And the pain you're going through will actually be achieving something for you. And so to help us understand what he's talking about, he tells the disciples this story about, about it's, it's like a woman in labor, and it hurts, but the hurt and the pain of the contractions and, and the pushing and all of that stuff, the, the hurt of all of that will pale in comparison to the joy of the baby. And even more so, the pain of the contraction and the pain of the pushing, the pain that's caused actually works to achieve something for you on the other end. So the best way Jesus can explain this is he says there's a woman in labor, and you know what that's like, but it does something. And here's an important thing for us to understand, because sometimes we sit back and we say, okay, God, I understand what you're saying, and I'll believe that it's true, and I'll get on board with what you're trying to say to me, but we think the promise is that he's going to take away the pain. He doesn't promise to take away the pain. I remember when Carrie had Travis and Aubrey. The pain shifted, but after Travis, she was in pain. The pain didn't disappear because the baby was there, but it was overcome, and that's what Jesus promises. He doesn't promise to take away the pain in this life, but what he promises is to overcome it with something far better. Listen, you want to know the secret to having joy? You want to know the secret to getting through this life? You You want to know the secret to finding joy in the face of circumstances that seem impossible? Odds that are stacked against you? You look at your life and it doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense and you're broke and and your marriage is in trouble and your kids are rebellious and your family won't talk to you and you have no friends and you're lonely and you just got fired and everything is stacked up against you. Oh, by the way, there's cancer and sickness and disease and it's all bad and you you can't figure it out and you want to know how to have joy in the midst of that. You got to trust that God has overcome your pain with something better. That's what it comes down to. People ask me all the time. I ask God all the time. People sit in my office and they say to me, I, I, and I get it because I'm in that same boat a lot of times, and we say, well, how, how do we have joy in the midst of all of this? Listen, I know it sounds flippant, but you know what the answer is? Faith. I know it sounds trite, but how do you have joy in the midst of, of, of mess mess? And pain and hurt? Faith. You trust, you have faith that God has overcome your pain with something better. Can you feel it? Maybe not. Can you see it? Probably not. Is it true? Absolutely. You got to trust that God has done that. That's what faith is. Look at Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for. It's assurance about what we don't see this is that moment. You want to have joy? Then trust that your God is bigger than your pain. It's that simple. You're like, but Matt, why? Why is it that simple? Because he's overcome it. Because your pain is temporary, and it will pale in comparison to what's coming, and because of what we're going to read next, right? So the thing that you have to understand is that the way that God has overcome our pain is with something so revolutionary. You've heard it a million times if you've been in church for a long time. If you're visiting today, maybe you're going to hear it for the first time, but it's so revolutionary that we're not going to understand why it matters so much. But listen to me, it does. So you now have sorrow. You have sorrow now, but I'll see you again and you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. So I want to start just just looking at that one text right there. No one can rob you of that joy. That matters because what, what he's saying is, If your joy is circumstantial, right, if it's contingent joy, it can be robbed. If your joy is in a relationship with a buddy, and that buddy moves away or, 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 heaven forbid, that buddy dies, then that joy has been robbed. If your joy is in a relationship um, with your job, and your job is where you find joy and satisfaction, you can get fired. Company can close. Right? Your work parameters can change. If, if your joy is found in, in your husband, your husband can go away or can die. If your joy is found in the fact that you have a bank account that is safe and you have a retirement that is a nice cushion, you know what, the market can crash. If your joy is found in anything circumstantial, it can be taken away from you. But God says, you... Have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and it'll be a joy that no one can take away from you. Because at that time, this is it, this is the joy-producing thing. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. He says this, I tell you the truth, you'll ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. I want to clarify there. He does not mean because you say, in Jesus' name, amen. Once when I was doing chapel services at Windsor Manor, um, we always would pray before, and we'd pray after, and, um, and uh, we'd finish the chapel service. And I remember that there was a lady who was just angrier than all get out because I was, I was like false teaching. Because when I prayed, I did not end with the phrase, in Jesus' name, Amen. She says, the Bible says you've got to ask in Jesus' name, right? But if you read through the New Testament, there are a lot of prayers offered. None of them end in Jesus' name, right? What it means when we say we're going to pray in Jesus, if you want to end your prayers with in Jesus' name, amen, good on you. Go for it. If you don't want to end your prayers in Jesus' name, amen, hey, that's awesome too, Right? What this means, though, isn't the words that you say. What this means is, under whose authority am I praying? Under whose authority am I praying? And he says, at that time, you won't need to ask me. You're not going to have to ask God the Son for anything. Right? He says, you didn't know God until I came here. And I'm showing God to you. But when I go and come back, and when he says when I go and come back, he's talking about when I die, and then when I'm resurrected... You won't have to ask me for anything. You know what? Because of my resurrection, we will enter into this new covenant where guess what you'll get to do? You'll get to go directly to the throne room of God, and you're going to get to talk to him. Keep going. Here's what he says. He says, you haven't done that before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. And he's right. Nobody had done that before. In the Old Covenant system, when you read through the Old Testament, all of Israel, whenever they wanted to to commune with God, they had to take an offering, they had to slaughter the offering, they had to sprinkle the blood, and they had to go through a priest, somebody that existed so that that person could be their line to God. They couldn't just go on their own. But now, he says, you've not done this before, but now you're going to ask using my name. And you're going to receive what you ask for when it's in my spirit and when it's in my authority. And your joy will be complete and you will have abundant joy. This is where we disagree so harshly with our Catholic friends. We're not mad at them, but, but the theology that says I have to go through a priest to get to God is bad theology. I read this and I read that I can because Jesus says so. I'm gonna have this joy where I can just go straight to the God of the universe myself. I don't need mediation from somebody else because Jesus is my mediator. Look at this. 1 Timothy 2:5. There is one God, one mediator between man and God, and that's Christ Jesus. This is the reality of salvation and the new covenant. Jesus dies. And by his death, he conquers sin and death. And his resurrection brings us into a new covenant where I no longer need other mediation. And I don't need somebody to intercede for me, because Jesus does it. Now, you want to ask me to pray for you? I will gladly pray with you. I will gladly pray for you. I've asked many of you to pray for me and with me. It's not an issue of it's bad to pray with and for people. It's an issue of you don't need anybody's blessing to go straight to God. You don't need it. It's been granted to you by the new covenant that's found in the blood of Jesus. That's the reality that we live in. We keep going. Here's what he says. Then you're going to ask in my name. and, And then he's clarifying here. He's like, so listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I will ask for you. Jesus wants this. Listen, this is so important that he said it. Now, this is the third time. You're going to ask in my name. You haven't done that before, but ask in my name and you can talk straight to God. And then he says, just to clarify, I'm not saying that you'll ask and I'll relay the message. This is my other issue um, with our Catholic friends that have a, a penchant for praying to Mary. You know, the, the whole theology behind praying to Mary is I'm asking Mary to ask her son for me. Because the idea is, well, that, that, that he'll be more inclined to listen to her. So I'm told to ask, and there, the blessing will come from there. But, but Jesus said, no, 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 I'm clarifying here. I'm not saying that you ask and I'll ask for you. I'm saying you go directly to God and you ask. And get this, this is so critical. This is where the joy should just, it's a wellspring of joy that should just fall out of you. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. The Father himself loves you dearly. Now listen, I'm gonna say this and it's gonna confuse you. What Jesus is telling them right there is new information for them. Do you know why it's new information? It's new information because God has not loved them like this before. If I don't explain that, you should want to fight with me and challenge me on that. Because it's confusing. Because we read way back in John 3, 16. Jesus said way back at the beginning of his ministry, for God loved the world so much, the people in it. God loves the world, the people, so much that he gave up his one and only son for them. So we've known for a long time that God loves the world. But that is a different kind of love. I'm not making that up. Read, read in the original Greek. You don't have to. I'm going to tell you what it says. It's a different kind of love. For God so, go ahead. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life is agape love. That is God has decided. He has said it in his heart. I will love them no matter what they do. I will love them so much, even though they are broken and sinful and nasty and awful. I love Matt Hant so much, even though that guy sucks. That's me, by the way, in case you didn't know that was my name. Not calling him, that's me. I love that guy so much that even though he's awful, I am going to die for him. That is agape covenant love. But what Jesus says here in John 16, 27 is something different. The word here is not agapo. The word here is phileo. For the Father himself loves you like family. He loves you like family. He loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. See, there's there's a shift that happens when we surrender to Jesus Christ and we say, you know what, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm separated from you for all of eternity. But you sent your one and only son because you loved, agape love. You loved the world so much that you sent Jesus to die. And I surrender to him. Thank you for forgiving my sin. I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. I believe that he came from God. I believe that he conquered sin. And I am following him now. That is when you become a Christian. And when you make that decision, when that happens in your heart, you are born again, you are made new. When that happens, there is a shift The Father himself now not just agape loves you, but now he familial loves you. With a family love. Listen, this is the wellspring of joy. You receive a different kind of love when you believe in Jesus Christ. And I, I know that's different than we talk about because we don't talk about that very often. We always talk about God's covenant love, his agape love, and it's rich and it's deep and it's critical and we need to know it. But when you surrender to Jesus and you become a Christian, his love changes for you. He still has agape covenant committed love for you. If you screw up, he's not mad at you, right? He still forgives you, right? But, but the, the reality of his love has deepened It's deep into something new. He loves you like family. And that's what 1 John tells us. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. And if you can't find joy in that, then I'm afraid you've become numb to the message. That the God of the universe, who has created you and sustained you, And died for you has invited you into a family relationship with him where he calls you son and he calls you daughter like Matt how do I have joy when I look at this mess in my life I look at all of the mess that I've made of my life I look at all of the things that have gone wrong all of the things that are stacked against me how can I possibly have joy in the midst of all of this because One, it's doing something for you. Two, it's light and it's momentary compared to all of eternity. Oh yeah, and in that, the God of the universe looks at you and calls you son. Looks at you and calls you daughter. Because his love for you, when you surrender to Jesus Christ, his love for you shifts from covenant love that provides salvation to familial love that calls you child. Don't let that get normal in your heart. Don't let that get normal. Trust me when I tell you that is not normal. That is absurd and rich, and it is the wellspring of everything good. I'm going to pray for us. Ask the praise team to come up. As we pray, I'm going to ask you this. If that's become normal to you, then here's what I want. I I want you to ask God to give you a fresh perspective on his salvation and the fact that his salvation has deepened his love for you and has made you family. Ask God. Ask God to give you a new perspective. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious and kind, and we are so grateful that not only did you send your son out of agape covenant love to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, and then to resurrect triumphantly, but that when we accept and follow him as Lord and Savior, that it changes our relationship with you, that through him we now have direct access to you because you call us child, and you are our heavenly Father. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. My, my prayer here is that, is that we would all walk away with a fresh hope and a fresh joy that comes from knowing that you call us child that we wouldn't be numb to it and that it wouldn't become ho-hum and we wouldn't look at it as normal and typical, but that we would understand how radical it is. Father, we love you and praise you. Amen.